Welcome to the Living the Dream Podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Hello and welcome to another episode of Living the Dream with Curveball. I'm your host, Curveball, and today I am joined by Michael Davis. He is a public speaker as well as a business storyteller, and we will be talking about that today. Michael, thank you for joining me. Curveball, it is good to be with you. I always love talking about storytelling. Absolutely. Well, let's get right into it. Let's start about telling the story of who you are and, you know, basically a brief overview of yourself. Sure. I uh, have been a presentation and storytelling coach since 2011. And the reason I got into that was back in 1994 when I was a financial advisor. Uh, Part of my job was giving workshops, retirement planning workshops in the community. And one October morning, my boss called me into his office and he said, we need to talk about these presentations that you did last week. And I thought, wow, that's, that's going to be pretty good. And he looked at me and said, Michael, this isn't good. And he handed me a stack of evaluations curveball. And I looked through those things and it was one after the other, they were awful. And he looked at me and said, you need to fix this or else we got to let you go. And that moment forced me to deal with a 25-year fear that I had of, of standing in front of others. And I'd had a very embarrassing experience when I was six years old in front of my classmates, and that had held me back. But that day in my boss's office, I, I had the fear of losing my job, which was greater than that fear of public speaking. And that sent me on this road to eventually becoming a speaker, speaker coach, TEDx coach. And that's how I got on your podcast today. You've also written several books. Um, Give us a brief overview of those and and talk about your books that you've written and the subject. Sure. The the primary book is called The Book on Storytelling. It was based on a series of 52 storytelling tips that I created. It's, It's really a guide, just real short chapters, one tip that builds upon another. The idea is to go out and practice one tip with your next few stories, learn from that, come back, grab another tip. But it's also a resource to other people's resources, uh, people that have inspired me. I wanted something that was like an all-in-one. Here's where you can go to get just about anything you need to know on storytelling. That's called the book on storytelling. And then I also wrote a, a series of Kindle books called Sell More with Stories. And are you you're familiar with the old One Minute Manager series of books? Absolutely. Okay. I was inspired by their telling a story to share their ideas and teach their lessons. So I, I took a fictitious financial advisor through some difficulties where she met her fairy godfather, so to speak, and he taught her how to tell better stories. And that's a Kindle series. And I've contributed to several other books also. What do you feel is the biggest storytelling challenge for people? Without a doubt, people do not understand, nor do they trust the power of their own stories. The the reason that is, is because you've lived your adventure, your journey. So you don't typically see anything extraordinary about it. And of all places, I learned that from my mother. 
I was born in France, but we came to the States when I was a baby. My mother was born into German-occupied France during World War II. And she has told me some of the most harrowing stories of, of bombs falling almost every night and then just looking for, for food to try not to starve. But when she told me these stories, she, she acted like it was just an everyday occurrence. <laughs> and that I'll never forget the day she told me this. We were sitting in my living room in Cincinnati, Ohio, nice air-conditioned home in the middle of summer, right up the street from as many stores as I could go to to buy food. And I'm just blown away by these tales she's telling. And I said, Mom, how did you and Grandma and Grandpa go through? How did you do that? And she looked at me for the longest time and finally said, well, honey, that's just what we did. And that's when it occurred to me that she didn't appreciate the power of the, these unbelievable stories and neither do any other people. No, no one else on the planet truly does. It takes someone else to pull that out for them to see the lessons and the, uh, the hope that their stories can give. Some people, when they stand up in front of crowds and try to speak, they they get a little nervous. Um, what What's the way to conquer that? Give us uh, some tips on how to conquer that. By far, the most important is to prepare. And that means that you rehearse, you, you go through your presentation, whether it's five minutes or it's a one-hour keynote, go through it over and over again. And what that does is when you know your material really well, it allows you to be present in the moment with your audience. Uh, you and I and your listeners, we've all listened to those speakers that we know they're, they're what we call caught in their head. They're thinking about what are they going to say next? And that doesn't allow them to notice the temperature of the room to see how people are reacting. On the other hand, side of that coin, we've seen the person who is so present, they make it look like it's just flowing out of their mouths like they just thought of it. Well, they didn't. <laughs> They've gone through it so many times that they're prepared. The, by far, that's the most important action you can take. Uh, other than that, the day of the presentation, you can do some quick exercises. You can do some jumping jacks, push-ups, whatever your physical abilities will allow you to do. That enables you to burn off what I call some of that excess nervousness. Make sure that if you have an opportunity, and it's a little bit different when you're doing virtual presentations like we are now, but try to meet your audience before you give your presentation uh, because you create some friendly faces in the room. And you can do that on, on Zoom calls also is talk to the people before you give your formal presentation because when we make friends, even if we've just made them, they want you to do well and they will be very supportive of you. Uh, so those are three quick tips on how to control nervousness. How can you tell if a person has prepared or if they're caught in their head? How, how, would, how can you tell personally? They, call, they present what I call speaker mode. They use phrases that they wouldn't use in everyday language. Uh, just a quick example, I was working with a client a few months ago, and he was giving a story about he was on a cliff in Mexico with his son, and they were trying to decide whether or not to jump into the ocean below. It was about 30 feet. And he started the story by saying, as I was standing on the side of the cliff and looking over, and I stopped him and I said, Lynn, 
when you're sharing that story with people over coffee or over lunch, do you really say, as I was standing on the side of the cliff, or do you just say, my son and I were standing on this cliff and I was looking over thinking, ain't no way I'm jumping. <laughs> it's very subtle. But if you listen to the words people say, if it sounds like it was written in a book versus how they would talk in everyday language, there's a pretty good chance they're in what I call speaker mode. And we need to get them into conversation mode. You talked about live and online presenting and you know how it might be different and how you can meet your audience. What is the difference? Can you compare those uh, two live and online presenting? Yes, that's a very good question. The, the, the biggest difference is this. When we're presenting in front of an audience, all five of our senses are engaged. We can see, we can hear, we can smell the smells in the room. We can taste if there's like food that triggers our taste buds. And our feelings, our um, tactile senses are uh, alert. When we're speaking to a camera, three of those senses are completely dulled. We can't smell what the other people smell. We can't taste and we can't feel the temperature in the room. We can see only what their cameras are picking up and we can only hear what their microphones are picking up if they're not muted. So our brains are working very hard to compensate for that. And that's why it's so important for us to, when we're presenting, have our faces close to the camera because that's how people are going to connect with us. They're going to see our expressions. Yes, they'll hear our voices, but it's really important that your face is well lit so they can see what your face is conveying. That's how we're connecting. And that we really have to be hypersensitive to that. Also, the, the space with which you can speak is very limited by the limit of your camera. Um, the, the office that I'm in right now, I've got my own studio set up. I've got about a three foot radius. I can't go either too far out of that picture or else people aren't going to see me and I lose the connection. Very different than being on a stage. Talk a little more about the temperature of the room in this aspect. What, what are some tips that speakers can take away from you as far as keeping the audience attention, you know, not losing your audience? Uh, are you talking live or on camera? Either way. Okay. When it's live, I mean, when I say temperature, I'm talking physically temperature and also the mood in the room. So when you, you can see people, uh, you can feel if the room is too hot, if it's too cold. I mean, if it's too hot, you've got a real challenge, especially if you're right after a meal because they're, they're really tired. So you have to do something that's a little bit more energy. Um, ask questions to keep them involved. Uh, storytelling is so important because when you can create a picture in the minds of the audience, they're in that story with you. But if you're just giving them a bunch of facts and figures or worse, a bunch of slides with facts, figures, and numbers, they're going, you're going to lose them. That's enhanced when you're online. You do have the ability if it's in gallery mode to, to check out your audience, but so often people are turning their cameras off but you've got a good idea. If you see most people looking at or near their cameras and they're not talking, they're not scanning you can, with a little bit of practice, you can tell if you've got people's attention. 
then you're doing something right. But um, there's an element of, of virtual presentations that we call pace elements. We have to change the pace of what we're doing about every three to four minutes. That means sometimes they need to see your face. Sometimes they need to see a quick slide. Then you have to ask them a question, maybe do a poll, but you've got to make sure you're changing it up to keep them fully engaged because the biggest problem with online presenting right now is distractibility of the audience. It sounds like you're not a fan of slides. Um, if that's the case, why not? It's not the slides I'm not a fan of, Curveball. It's the misuse of slides. The reason I don't like them is most people use them as reading material or as a follow the bouncing ball. As a presenter, it's like, okay, I'll put my, I'll put my script on the slide. I can read that. Well, they don't need you. Just send them the PDF and let them read it at their leisure. A slide can enhance your presentation, but it really should have no more than two or three words. If you know your topic, you only need a couple of words to trigger what you're going to talk about next. But the best slides are very colorful. They will have images, videos, uh, cartoons that support your point. It's not, you should not be as a presenter reading a slide. The audience can read. They need your interpretation of whatever's on that slide and how it applies to them. Give us some tips on what you can do when your technology fails, like if you don't have those slides now and, and now you're kind of stuck. When it comes to live presenting pre-COVID, I used to tell people practice and rehearse as if the lights are going to go out. There's no electricity in the room other than the lights from the camera or from the phones of the people in the audience and you have to keep talking. And I say the same thing with technology. Now it's a little bit different. If technology goes out and you can't, your camera goes out or something, you got a whole other issue. You got to reschedule your presentation. But sometimes you may have an issue where you can't so, show your slides. That's when you shift to, again, knowing your presentation, acting as if technology is going to go out anyway. So you've got to know that talk. But I would get much more involved with the audience in an online situation where the slides go out, no audio, as far as you know, audio clips you may have played. Now that's not available to you. What do you do? Go through your material, but involve the audience more. Ask questions. Uh, open up the microphone for people to have conversations. If you can send them to breakout rooms, get them involved. Uh, but always ask yourself, how can I get them involved? And what's my backup plan if the slides aren't available or whatever other side uh, supporting technology I was going to use. What if that goes out and I just can't use that? For the presenters out there, give some tips on how to know what you're going to talk about. Number one, only talk about what you're an expert in. I've seen speakers over the years make the mistake of taking a job because it either had a nice paycheck or they thought, well, I'd, I'd like to try that topic. If you don't know it well, you shouldn't be talking about it. You can get away with that in the old days, pre-technology, but with, with Google out there, people can Google quite a bit of information and people do not hire speakers today for information. They hire them for your perspective on that topic. So talk only about what you know well. 
Uh, in my case, I talk about presentation skills with a focus on storytelling and virtual presentation skills. I could talk about marketing and networking and business, but I don't want to. That's not my area of expertise. I have other people I can go to for that. Uh, so that by far is the number one tip. Talk about what you know and ask me your question again. I got so involved in that answer curveball that I <laughs> want to make sure I'm answering it correctly. Basically, what? how do you know what you're going to talk about? And uh, oh, that's you basically okay. yeah. said. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, number two is you got to know who your audience is it's really important that you are providing something that's of benefit to them. So you've got to do some research. Um, you're going to talk to a meeting planner going in and do, um, you know, think like a detective. What does this person want? What are their needs? What are their pain points? How can you match what you offer with what they need? Uh, those are the two most important things I'll tell you. Talk about what you know best. And if it matches up with that audience, find out how you can best provide value to them. And I, I, I do want to point out something. What just happened? I literally forgot your question for a moment because uh, I got so involved in the answer. Don't be afraid that you're going to look bad or look dumb or stupid because you had to ask. If I tried to fake my way through the rest of that answer, you would have known and be like, what's this guy's problem? He didn't answer my question. Uh, don't be afraid of being human because it happens to all of us. I definitely understand that. And I'm sure all my listeners do as well. Are there any shortcuts to becoming a better speaker or should you just not take shortcuts? Cause you know, in life they say shortcuts aren't good. You know, you need to just, do what you have to do. Is that the same way in speaking? That's yes, one of my favorite questions. There is no shortcut. You have to do it. Uh, somebody once taught me early in, in my speaking career, speaking is a, is a full contact sport, meaning you've got to get in front of audiences and you've got to give the presentation. You've got to get feedback. You've got to see what resonates with them and you've got to see what doesn't resonate you can stand in your office all day long. And I got two dogs. I love my dogs and they've heard my presentations a lot, but they only give me so much feedback, right? I've got to get in front of human beings because what may sound good to me as a presenter may not stick with you. And I've got to know that before I make a, a commitment to go speak to a big group and they're going to write me a big check, let's say. I got to know ahead of time, is my message really resonating with you? Uh, what one of my coaches taught me to ask what amazes you, what amuses you, what moves you, and what confuses you. I've got to know the answers to those questions before I go to a high stakes presentation. If a person wanted to engage their audience by adding humor to their presentation, but doing it in the correct way, you know, not being too vulgar or too, you know, offensive to people, give uh, some tips on doing that the correct way. First of all, I don't like to add humor. And that means don't throw in jokes or one-liners or you know, something you saw on the internet just to get a laugh. Again, that's something that used to work pre-internet days and the old school of speaking, you might get away with that. The best humor has to relate to the topic. And 
the absolute finest way to use humor is to let your stories, uh, share your stories. I tell people, if you have kids, you've got pets, uh, if you work in a job, you've got stories. If you're married, you've got humorous stories. So the key is to create the story, let it evolve, and just ask people for ideas or just test your humor out on folks. But don't try to insert it just to get a laugh. Uh, audiences today are sophisticated. And they will tell you, look, if I want cheap laughs and jokes, I'll go watch Comedy Central. I've got plenty of podcasts I can listen to. So st stick to humor within the stories. That is what will resonate with them the most. Some people like to talk with their hands when they're speaking. What's um, the most appropriate way to use your hands when you are speaking? Be yourself when you speak. Authenticity is critical. We were talking about this earlier. How, can, how, how do you know somebody's in speaker mode if they're authentic? They're not using gestures is, is one way to tell. Uh, I try to coach gestures right out of people because it just doesn't feel real. So if you're a person who speaks with your hands, and I do a lot, let that happen. Now, people don't see that as much on camera, but if that's who you are, if that's where you get your energy, do not try to suppress that because when you do, you're not being your true self. On the opposite end, if you're somebody who's more reserved and you have a more laid back speaking style and you don't speak with your hands, do not insert gestures because somebody told you to or you read it in a book somewhere. Keep your hands to your side. Just be energetic with your voice in your face and let those hands do what they would do. I always tell people to start with your hands at your side. If you find that hands are an issue and you're not sure what to do with them, one of the best tips I ever got was from one of my fellow coaches. He suggested I take two water bottles, like 16 ounce water bottles, and put them in and hold one in each hand, drop my hands to my side, and just let my hands do what they do. And if I've got a distracting mannerism, for example, let's say I you know, hit my leg uh, a lot, I'll stop doing that when I realize that I'm hitting my leg with a water bottle. Uh, that was a great tip that helped me and it also helped a lot of my clients. Are there any projects that you're working on, such as uh, speaking engagements or anything like that, whether they be live or virtual? Yes, I am right now reincorporating webinars into my practice where I'm going to go deep into storytelling. Uh, I'm going to go back to the basics to help people understand how to find their best stories, uh, to create a positive mindset and understand why their stories are so powerful and how to deliver them authentically. And the other project that uh, I was actually supposed to present this year is my TEDx talk here in Cincinnati. I have coached TEDx for five years, but I finally have my own talk next spring. Let's talk about that. Um, go into that a little more. Explain to people what that is, those who might not be familiar with it and what it entails. Yeah. And how did you get your own talk? How did you go from you know, participating in it to doing your own. Sure. If you're not familiar with TED, go online and just uh, type in TED, uh, TED.com or TEDx with the letter X. TED is an organization that was started in the 1980s, actually, out in uh, California. And it was designed originally just to create, uh, to present new ideas in the technology field. And it has exploded to talk about all kinds of ideas. And TEDx talks, there are thousands and thousands, probably 
a hundred thousand by now. And the idea behind them is just to give people real brief speeches and presentations to share ideas on how to make the world a better place. It might be on technology. It could be business. It could be social, social justice. There are all kinds of great talks. I started coaching TEDx Cincinnati five years ago, and I've worked with about three speakers a year to help them give the best possible talk. And because I'm so close with the organizers, they decided it was time for me to give a talk about storytelling. Now, we're not quite sure. This is we're in the planning stages. What aspect of storytelling are we going to talk about? Because I'm not the first person to talk about this subject. So we want to find something that's a different twist. Uh, but the key to TEDx talks or TED talks is they're fairly short. They can be anywhere from five minutes to 15 minutes. Yeah, five to 18 minutes. So they're not too long, but they will give you some perspective on a specific topic. And you can go into the TED.com site and type in any subject and you'll get suggestions for different videos you can watch. Are there any topics that we haven't talked about that you would like to discuss? I think the most important is this, is when it comes to storytelling, I, I tell everyone I meet, you have a story that, that other people need to hear. Uh, I'm 57 and I have never lived through a more tumultuous time as we have now. I was a little kid in the 60s when the, our country was really uh, at odds with itself. And this feels just as bad. The way I believe we will get through this is if we will take the time to slow down long enough to ask other people what their story is and then be ready when they ask for our story. Because I believe at the core, we're all very similar. You know, we, we, if we are in relationships and we have families, we want to raise our kids in healthy environments. We want safe neighborhoods. We want to have work that's rewarding. We want to contribute to society. I don't care what your background is. Human beings are wired that way. And I think storytelling is one of the keys that will get us out of this. Because if I take the time to listen to you and understand that you're pretty much like me, yeah, there may be some external differences, but we're pretty much the same. That's going to take a lot of this tension out of the air. We're going to slow down and we're going to have a much better society because of it. So tell your story and also be willing to listen to others. I think it'll make a great big difference in our world. Not only are we all pretty much the same, we're all God's children. Absolutely. Go ahead and throw out some contact information um, so people can connect with your website, social media, anything that you want to put out there for the oh, listeners. Absolutely. My website is speakingcpr.com. And as everybody will tell you, it's always under, it's, it's always being added and changed, but feel free to check out some of my material there. Uh, if you have any specific questions, I'm happy to hop on a quick call with you and answer any questions about your stories. Just write to me, Mike at speakingcpr.com. And I've got, if you write to me, I'll also send you a, a resource. I've got a cheat sheet for how to give better online presentations. Uh, so send me a quick email and just say, send me the cheat sheet 
for online presentations. And if you want to go deeper into storytelling, I've got a, a resource. It's called 52 Storytelling Tips. It's just a weekly five-minute tip that comes out. It's an audio, comes right to your email. And the idea is to build one skill on top of another. Um, that's complimentary, no obligation on your part. Just go to 52storytellingtips.com and sign up for those. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Davis. Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. Curveball, thank you. It's been a great pleasure. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream. dream.